This is the Sports Aid Vault podcast with me, Tom Gale. And me, Dominic Mensah. Each month, we will be joined by one of Britain's most talented young sports stars as they share the story behind their achievements so far. We'll find out what drives them to succeed and what it takes to reach the podium. We'll also discover more about the person behind the athlete, their early years and future ambitions. This month's guest is a professional footballer who plays for Arsenal in the Women's Super League. She came through the club's centre of excellence and captained England's under-17s at the World Cup and European Championships. She moved stateside in 2017 to study at the University of North Carolina and play for the North Carolina Tar Heels in the NCAA. She's a versatile defender who rejoined the Gunners in September last year and recently made her full international debut for the Lionesses. It's Lotta Vuben Moy. Man, I can't stop. Man, I can't stop. Man, I can't stop. So, Dom, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be alongside you once again. Another football connection with your good self. Episodes one and two, which hopefully everyone's enjoyed, was Vidal Riley, a Spurs fan. And we know the North London banter was just not too heavy in that one. But are you going to be able to compose yourself now? We've got one of your own, an Arsenal player joining us. I think I will be able to. It's going to be tough, as you know. I am a big Arsenal fan. You know, Lotta's one of our top players. Recently, I've been trying to keep up with the Arsenal women's. One of my favourite players, Vivian Meadham, I've been following her on Instagram and so on and so forth. So I'm really looking forward to having Lotta on the podcast. And it's a nice contrast from um, when we had Vidal, as you said, um, is a Spurs fan. How about you, Tom? How are your ladies getting on the Stoke women's team? Uh, so, yeah, for listeners who aren't aware, I'm a Stoke City fan. Uh as of the time of recording, Stoke City women are in the uh, Northern Premier League, so we're in Tier 4. So, unfortunately, we haven't kicked ball since, uh, obviously, what was it, January the 6th when our Prime Minister put us into lockdown. But as it, you know, as everything continues to remain safe, the Stoke City women's team will be back in action in April. Looking forward to it, mid-table, climbing up um, and into the second round of the FA Cup. So, I guess we're perhaps chat to me in 10 years or so, Dom, and I think I have a good bit more of a, you know, a loftier ambitions as regards to the Stoke City win. But you mentioned following Vivian Miedemar on Instagram. Can I pull you up on your social media? Oh, I just no. noticed, as you know, <laughs> the listeners will be very aware that you are a big gooner, uh, but you've got a PSG shirt on oh, no. your latest post. Do you care to explain? The, the Arsenal one was in was in the wash that day. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, in terms of PSG, um, I've always just really, really loved the style of their kits. Um, I love like the Nike and the Jordan brand. So whenever PSG release something, um, I'm always the first one to, you know, grab it. Um, and I feel like I kind of get a buy because I would never really wear like another English team. I think if it's abroad, it's okay, but oh, another yeah. English team would definitely okay. be a no-no. So I think <laughs> I should be okay, but I'm still a big gooner, but I love PSG and their style as well. Listeners may or may not be aware that during lockdown, one of your ways of, you know, just keeping yourself busy and active was uh, working on your keepy-oppies. I'll admit, my I, I'll struggle to get into double figures. Self-confess, my, you know, I was never destined for stardom as regards to footballing. But you were, I was quite impressed. You were, you were up to into the 20s. If we were to test you right now on the podcast and you had that ball behind you, how many do you back yourself, Dom, to, to do? Do you know what? I've I've been practising a lot. I've been practising a lot. Me and my housemates, sometimes we go around the field um, at uni sometimes and we go and have a little kick around and I reckon I could definitely get to around 30. I think I can do like 30 consistently now, maybe a cheeky around the world, a toe bounce here and there. So yeah, I think I'm progressing well. 
So for guys who strictly classify themselves as fans, definitely not players. I think, what were we going to say? 38 kick-ups between us. That's no, that's not too bad. But I think it's fair to say uh, our guest that's going to be joining us will smash us out of the water in terms of keepy-uppies. We're going to bring in Lotte, the 22-year-old Arsenal and England centre-back. And Lotte, I want to ask you, how does it feel now to be a fully-fledged senior international? Unbelievable, really. Um, it's funny when... A year's worth of work suddenly accumulates into one moment and um, obviously it was a moment that I've been training for my whole life and when you put that into perspective you're like wow okay like this is this has been coming a long time and um, in that moment you remember all those runs you've done you remember all the conversations you've had you remember all the the harder days um, and it's in that moment you're like okay it, it was worth it and um, to have done it in the way that it happened, obviously with COVID, um, isn't ideal. And yeah, at the end of the day, on on paper, a cap is a cap, isn't it? And um, I'm extremely proud of that and uh, will not forget all the hard work that, that actually went into that cap. Yeah. You speak about like the hard work and the journey. And even though you're only 22, you've been on such a journey and um, sports aid have obviously been a part of that journey. But we wanted to kind of bring it back to the start for you. When did you like first kick a ball? You're, you know, we've seen that you're an East London girl. So we we know that that dream sort of started from there. So could you talk us through how you kind of got into football? Yeah, I like that you picked up on the, the East London uh, aspect because... Um, yeah, many people listening might know that that's where it starts, on the streets, uh, grazing your knee, on the estates. Um, and I think, honestly, that's where um, my skill was developed from. Um, I like using using the walls, doing one-two touch passing, moving the ball quickly. Um, I'm quick to get up off the ground if I fall down. Um, so I do think back home in East London is where it started. Obviously, it's taken me many places since then. I've been out to the States for three years playing university soccer, they call it, but that's just football for us, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it pretty much started on the streets. Um, my auntie was a big influence in that. She was an Arsenal supporter. She gave me my first Arsenal shirt, and I'd done that proudly um, on the streets here in East London at school. And I guess it's it feels like everything's come full circle when I'm finally able to wear that Arsenal shirt on the grass, on the immaculate grass of um, Boreham Wood, of the Emirates, hopefully soon. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely where it started uh, in East London. Yeah, 100%. And obviously you mentioned, you know, that sort of street footballing background. Um, a lot of, you know, players, men and women that have come out of London credit that so much for their development um, and helping them progress. Um, when did you first sort of join, like, a local women's team um, in the area, if you did? So unfortunately, um, at the time, there weren't many women's teams uh, um, that had openings, uh, not any that I knew about any, anyways. Um, and I joined my school team and I was playing with the boys. Um, I was a bit of a tomboy back then, so you probably wouldn't, been, uh, wouldn't have been able to pick me out uh, from the crowd as a girl. But it was from there that I realised, OK, like there's not many opportunities for girls in this game. And um, obviously it's now women, um, but... I realised I'm going to have to pave my way with the boys. I'm going to have to fight my way through if if that's what it's if that's what it's going to take. And eventually, um, I sort of was the catalyst to say, okay, we need to start a girls team at school. This was primary school at Olga Primary, um, and from there, I was scouted by Millwall, uh, West Ham, and um, the rest was sort of history. But I think it's it's crucial to point out that there weren't many opportunities for me and. Um, 
I dread to think of the amount of girls who might have dropped football because there weren't many opportunities and because they weren't able to find a girls team. Um, so that's super, super distinct in my mind as uh, thinking about my, my coming through with teams and my first team. 100%. And that's such a brilliant story of how you kind of had to fight to really champion women's football and women's sport. And you weren't going to let the sort of lack of opportunities stop you from really realising your dream. And it's great to see that from young, you kind of saw it not just as a hobby, but something you can really strive to kind of um, really get to the professional ranks, you know, now playing for Arsenal and playing for England as well. I just wanted to speak on as well, how important and how supportive were your parents in, you know, realising all of these dreams and supporting you um, to where you are now? So interestingly, um, my parents, my dad was a or is a furniture designer, my mum's a fashion designer, so obviously that's nothing near what um, what you'd expect from um, someone wanting to maybe come into sport and being encouraged by their parents, but I guess it was the opposite of that, like they were so clueless about football that it was encouraging, like I, I can distinctly remember coming off the football pitch at West Ham, my first team that I joined, um, and seeing girls with their dads like working through the game, like being like, oh, you should have done this pass, should have done this pass. And my dad was there like smiling, giving me all the support I needed while also not giving me the support. And it was nice because I was able to be independent with that. And um, it's a fine line. Obviously, parenting is uh, independent to the parent and they do it their own way but I'm definitely thankful for my parents for not getting too involved in football and at the end of the day it's just a game isn't it and you play on a Sunday and Monday you're back at school you're back at work and um, yeah it's nice to be given that reality from an early age and I, I try to carry that through with me now the, the fact that they're yeah obviously football's my job but it's just a game isn't it and um, from that you can you can create possibilities too. For listeners who aren't aware, Lotta, you are, uh, you're obviously uh, multilingual in terms of you're fluent in Dutch. That comes from your dad, who's a, a proud Dutchman as well. You've progressed to England age group international. Was there ever a conversation about your international allegiance? Was it always you wanted to be a lioness or did your dad have a few words to say as regards to potential international <laughs> call-ups? That's just funny. Um, interestingly, I'll give you a, a quick insight. There were multiple tournaments that I went to as a youngster where the Dutch uh, youth national teams were, were involved as well. So it would be a, what we'd play Sweden, Norway, and then suddenly we'd play the Dutch. And um, there were moments when I thought, should I be in orange right now? Um, I'd look over my, my dad. He'd still be proud of me, the fact that I'm wearing a, an England shirt, the fact that I'm... I'm following my dream and um, doing what makes me happy. But there were moments when I thought, hmm, like maybe I should be an orange. And um, honestly, I don't think it was until I looked around me and realised, OK, this isn't just about a country. This is about the people part of this country. And at the end of the day, you do it for the people around you and you do it for the friends you've made, you do it for the people you've met along the way. And um, that's really what I think drives me. And uh, when I look at the badge, that's what I think of. I don't necessarily think of a country or I don't think of um, this tight allegiance, but I think of uh, everything that's gone into it. And Arsenal capped at 16 you made you made your debut we, we talked you know I'm not going to just assume it's all been this straight linear rise to the very top but you know these successes just kept coming and coming you were capped by your country and then you make it into the first team talk about that initial experience of when you were told right Lottie it's not just you're promising you are good enough to play for our first team blimey um 
yeah, at the age of 16, I was I was thrown in the deep end. Um, and I mean, that's putting it lightly. It's daunting. You're, you're surrounded by 30 year olds. Um, a few of them had kids. Um, and here comes in this this young 16 year old trying to take their spots. And I mean, the reality of that is I'm trying to take someone's job. I'm trying to take them away from what they've known. And with that comes a bit of um, competition that um, I felt definitely as a kid. But that pushed me on, that pushed me on. And um, I was thankful to be thrown in at the deep end because, I mean, from there you can learn so much, being pushed out of your comfort zone. And, I mean, there are so many cliches that I could attach to this, but um, I think at the end of the day I realised I was playing football and... Um, when you're put in the deep end, you know that someone's got confidence in you and you can hang on tight to that, knowing that, yeah, like, I'm, I'm worthy of this, I'm good enough for this. And from there, um, as you say, it wasn't completely uphill. It's been up and down. And obviously, as a young player, you learn so much with, with all the challenges and all the mistakes you make. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, um, it, was, it was a big ask with a 16-year-old. And I salute those young players coming through with the men's teams, the, the women's teams, um, it's a, it's a tough job and I have a lot of sympathy for those players when they maybe make a mistake, but even more um, congratulations when they actually perform and it's, it's, it's amazing. Very soon after that, we were sort of bookending that part of your career as Arsenal part one, because like I say, for the outside looking in, it was like, wow, cat by England, now a, you know, a, a first team player at Arsenal. And then you, you had the decision that many youngsters face, who are particularly not in a solely professional sport as regards to balancing academics along with your sporting endeavours. And you, may, you decided to opt to go to the National Collegiate Athletic Association, the NCAA in the States. Can you talk us through how someone who's been captain that as a senior uh, in their team then decides that actually I'm going to put that on hold traveled literally the other side of the world but continue my career as a, a soccer player if you want to say in America um yeah I mean probably that was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life I think um the fact that I was going to leave my family I was going to leave the comfort zone of um Arsenal of London um and start a new life thousands of miles away um it was it was a big decision and it wasn't something I took lightly. I, I had as many conversations as, as possible about it with Arsenal, with uh, the coaches out in America, because I wanted it to be um, something that I did on full knowledge, full buy-in, because I wasn't just going to go thousands of miles away from home thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I was going to go full send or I wasn't going to go at all. Um, and I think if it wasn't for Anson Dorrance, um, who's won a... World Cup with the the US women's national team if it wasn't for him I don't think I'd be out or I'd have been out in the States um, and that is purely because of his amazing amazing coaching ability and his ability to recruit players he's an unbelievable man and I feel lucky that I was able to play under him um, for anyone listening they'd, they'd probably know if they're a women's football fan they'll know his reputation and um, I feel lucky alongside Alessia Russo, alongside Lucy Bronze, to be able to say that I've played for Anson Dorrance and I can bring his, um, his competitive fire that he, that he demands in every session. And I try to bring that now with Arsenal and England too. 
Brilliant, brilliant. And like I said, you know, for me, myself, I'm also um, a student athlete at the moment, still currently competing, still at uni, like I told you before when we first met. Um, so I have such huge, huge respect for people that try to do both because it is so much pressure, especially when you're not in a sport that's like fully professionalised, there is that sort of element of risk and so on and so forth. For me, I really wanted to know, Lotta, what is the kind of difference between the sort of USA sort of footballing system and kind of your footballing education in England? Like, what were the key differences and what did you really love about um, your time um, in USA learning the game and, you know, playing in the NCAA? Um, I think it made me realise that, again, like I've said, there is more to life than sport. And um, when you're able to have that balance of um, reality that, yeah, this is just the game, but it can also take me so many places as well. That's when you strike a really nice balance. Um, I was only in the States getting a degree because I could play football, and that's the reality of it. Um, and um, because I was able to play, obviously, that opportunity opened up for me. And I think in England, there aren't many opportunities that um, go hand in hand with football, as in there aren't many opportunities for um, athletes to say, OK, I want to do a sport, but I'm also going to get get a degree. It's one or the other. And Dom, I don't know about you, but it's hard to juggle. It's really hard yeah. to juggle. And that's a reality. And because of that, people are put off. And to me, I don't think that should be um, what stops you from getting an education because your mind is always growing. Yeah, you, you'll, you'll be able to play football for, what, 20% of your life, but what about the rest of it? You don't want to have to fall back on the uncertainty of maybe if I get an injury, I'm not going to be able to play again. But the possibilities that open up once you've got an education, once you have um, expanded your mind a bit more, uh, it's endless. And um, Dom, I see behind you, you got a picture of Michael Jordan. Like Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan went to my <laughs> university and um, wow. he was able to get a degree. Um, Obviously, he was an amazing athlete, but what if he'd, what, what if he'd got injured? He would have actually had uh, an education to fall back on. Um, and uh, to me, I think that's quite amazing. Well, I just want to touch upon that a bit as well, because you didn't just go to any university. Obviously, you mentioned it's very famous due to Michael Jordan, but for the women's soccer team as well, I think if I'm right, of the 36 national titles, 21 were won by the North Carolina Tar Heels. Alumni include current US internationals, Tobin Heath, Crystal Dunn, our, our very own, obviously speaking as an Englishman, Lucy Bronze, FIFA's best player of last year. You've rightfully pointed out the holistic of it, you know, the, the whole life experience. But as a football programme as well, I think some people maybe think, oh, she's she's leaving Arsenal to go to university and drop down. Some perhaps there's a lack of comprehension of it's a legit professional outfit when you join that NCAA system as well, isn't it? Which no doubt helped improve you as a player. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you, you picked up on that because, um, yeah, it shouldn't be seen as a step down. I think... It's easy to um, look at the trajectory of a player going professional and be like, wow, that is, that's the pinnacle of their career. But what about the steps in between? You don't want to peak too early. You don't want to suddenly hit the age of 18, which was the prospect for me. I was going to be 18, sign my first pro professional contract. And then um, after that, like, what is there for me? Am I going to be pushing, um, pushing the, the boundaries with, within my club? Yeah, maybe, but the reality of that is I'm competing with 25, 26, 27-year-olds who are years ahead of me and I'm trying to play catch-up. And to me, I think it, it felt um, natural to, to go from Arsenal, uh, extremely professional team, to UNC, which uh, University of North Carolina, um, as you've said, uh, Tom, uh, 
which is equally as professional to go from there to to have like a, a natural progression in my career and um then obviously I was able to come back to Arsenal and sign my professional contract then at the age of uh, 21 um it was it it felt extremely natural and yeah like I said it's it's important to point out that it's not a step down um going to the states it's a step forward that then in the long run can take you 100 steps forward like I said with the education side that that's really what uh, sticks out for me and you know you you did mention that after your time at university you did come back to London and obviously sign for Arsenal again how did you kind of know you were ready to come back and did the pandemic kind of halt that sort of process or kind of um, make the process a bit harder could you talk us through that yeah, Dom, so um, I would be here, but I don't think I would have been um, where I am in the standings with Arsenal in England if I hadn't have come back because of COVID. And that was the true reason why I came back, because of COVID. Uh, our season was going to be significantly reduced out in the States. I knew that I wasn't going to get as much opportunity to play as I would if I'd, if I'd come back to England. Um, so that was a, a pivotal moment in my decision-making where I was like, OK, I need to make a decision for football right now with my football head on and I've said how amazing education is over there there is also a point where you have to say okay something needs to give and um, luckily I was able to continue my degree online and um, Covid didn't put too much of an upset in in that respect and I, I graduated in December last year whoop whoop um, <laughs> but congratulations yeah. <laughs> thank you I appreciate it but yeah it was uh, Covid did did send my world upside down for a little bit but as football so often helps me to do I landed on my feet and I feel lucky that I was able to to slip right in with Arsenal um, I got my first call up for England in September a few weeks after I came back from the States and from there I feel extremely lucky with the way it's gone and I've been taking opportunity that I've, every opportunity that I've been given. Yeah, and that's so brilliant how, you know, you've managed to find blessings in such a crazy, crazy time for the world. I'm pretty sure everyone in every aspect of life has had some sort of disruption. So it's so great to hear that, you know, you kind of found a blessing in it and found like a real opportunity now with Arsenal and England to continue your progression. And just a sort of theoretical, you know, situation, if the pandemic hadn't have happened, could you have seen yourself actually progressing into the pro ranks in the USA? Or do you feel like your heart always was in, in England, so to say, playing football? Interesting one. Um, I like the idea of the fact that football can take me so many places and um, with that obviously comes the the temperamental side that you could get an injury, a team could not want you, um, you could um, have some kind of family issue going on and um, I think when you look at football holistically, like you said earlier Tom, uh, actually with, with UNC being so holistic, when you look at football with the bigger picture in mind, um, you've, in a sense, got to give yourself a few yards, um, if we're talking in football puns, um, give yourself a few yards in the decisions you make. Um, and I was open to staying in the States. I actually had talks with a, a couple clubs before I came back to England because there was a possibility that I would stay out here, out there um, and, and play. But I'm open to anything. As I said, football can take me so many places and um, obviously I'm an Arsenal girl through and through and it's amazing that I'm able to come home here um, and be speaking to you as an Arsenal player. But football is a game that is worldwide spoken and I would never turn down an opportunity to continue to explore the game and continue to learn from new people and um, keep an open mind in that respect. 
Lotta, so much wisdom for someone who's 22. If we can just reflect on, you know, to, to present day, to how you've got here, what are your thoughts on the way women's footballers develop in this country? Obviously, like I say, you started at Arsenal, your NCAA, and you're back. Obviously, the, the exposure of women's football is so much greater now. It, how easy is it for, you know, for, for youngsters out there, pandemic aside, to, to really kick on and develop as female footballers in the UK? I feel lucky to be part of the sport right now and I'm, I'm really proud of the sport um, because there is so much progression going on, not just uh, in teams, not just um, in with the national governing body, but also commercially. And uh, I'm not going to be in, uh, naive to say that without money, football can't go on because oftentimes that is the, the thing that holds back um, most sports and it could definitely be what holds back women's football. But... I feel lucky to say that there's been so much investment, so much positivity going towards the game that it's only going to grow more. It's only going to grow more. And um, it's exciting. Like, I'm sat here not knowing what player is going to come through the ranks next as an Arsenal Academy player because I'm scared that they're going to take my spot. And that's the rea- reality of it. That's that's not um, me saying, oh, I don't, I don't want there to be um, players coming through because a sign that the game is progressing is that there's going to be more and more players coming through and pushing the limits and pushing other people and that's when you get the greatest competition that's when the fans get to see great games that's when um you know it's going to start to look a bit more like men's football but don't get me wrong it's a different product overall and um women's football is going to start or continue to to push the boundaries in the way it does and in a distinct way that you don't see in any other sport and, the, and there's options. I think that's a good point to point out as well. Because, for example, you 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 articulated very early on that Arsenal were involved in your decision making to go to the NCAA. If we contrast that with Georgia Stanway, I know a peer of yourself, fellow international throughout the age groups, she obviously Manchester City made a clear path for her as regards to from 16, 17. So it, it's not one size fits all, is it? There is. There's, it's it's good to know that female footballers do have choices. Yeah, and um, it's important that we have choice choices like it sounds funny but that's a privilege right and um the the opportunities that we get um the fact that there are so many allows us to be comfortable in what what decisions we make and it allows more opportunity for other people to make choices and me not going to one team leaves a space for another another woman going to another team and um from there i think like you said, choices are um, are pivotal in feeling comfortable and um, continuing to push the boundaries. And yeah, Georgia is a, a a good friend of mine as well. And I know that her decision and choice that she made was right for her, but it's not going to be right for another woman because we're all different. And um, that's that's also important. Yeah, definitely. Um, but as we say, you know, you've you kind of assume that leadership role you know I do believe leaders are made but sometimes I do believe that kind of leaders are born and there's naturally people that sort of rise to the top and really want to take a be held accountable and really try and lead you know their teammates and their team towards greatness so when was the first time you kind of sort of saw yourself in that leadership role leading people and kind of being a captain whether in a in an official capacity or or just a general feeling when you were younger I think it might have been honestly when I started that women's team at my at my primary school when I think to me leadership is um being able to 
push others and create opportunities for others because in this game it's it's not just one person playing and I often think there are so many captains in one team as in there's so many people that can lead and I I'm tentative to say that I will wear a cap uh, I'll wear the armband for Arsenal in the future because to me I feel like I can wear it now as in I want to lead from as a young player I want to Today, actually, in training, we had a young academy girl um, come, in, come and train with us and I felt uh, empowered to, to lead her because I knew what she'd been through. And um, a captain, so our captain is obviously Kim Little. She came through the Arsenal ranks, but she's so many years removed from this young academy girl that it's hard to, to relate to someone who's so much older than you. So in that respect, I think when you can find common ground with with players with individuals in your team um, that is the opportunity to lead and um, obviously I found common ground with young young girls at my primary school who's, or, who also wanted to play football with me and um, that was what it took um, for me to as you say um, take on a leadership position and it, it felt natural because as I said there was that common ground and uh, we were all on the same page and teams are well, teams are made with many individuals coming together and it's when you come together on common ground to all win, to all succeed, um, that's when there is that sweet spot. 100%. And when you look at yourself as a captain, what are sort of the key attributes you really sort of pride yourself on and the key kind of things you want to implement to other people? Are you quite like a vocal captain? Do you really like to lead by example? Are you a captain that's going to, you know, really put your arm around the shoulder of a youngster or somebody who's not having a, you know, a great time or a great run of form at the moment? What kind of captain do you kind of see you, see yourself as? I think... Um... The, the role of a captain, it's it's got to be versatile because in moments, sometimes you'll need a vocal captain. Sometimes you'll need someone to um, to lead by example. Sometimes you'll also need them to be empathetic with other players. And um, I think something about me is that I am I am quite versatile and um, I can I can uh, feel out a room. I can feel out um, other people around me and. Um, from that, I can understand what they need. And I think everyone needs different things. Um, so for me as a leader, I, I am someone who um, can assume different roles for other people to help them. And it does mean that I put myself second, but um, I do think, as I've said, a team uh, is, is run on individuals coming together. And um, if every individual can feel comfortable, can feel listened to, can feel heard, um, I think that's when you you are uh, in a leadership role and doing your job. Um, so I think that's what I would say is my um, is my ability as a leader. Are there any sort of role models? Because I'm a big person about role models, and you know, if you can have somebody you can really look up to, and if you can relate to them, that's great. But if you can just sort of look up to them and really try to be like them, are there any captains that you kind of aspire to be like in the women's or the men's game? Casey Stoney was actually a um, player that I got to have the chance to play with when I was 16, coming through the ranks, and um, she was she was definitely someone I looked up to. Um, she, the way she led, the way she spoke, the way she um, approached certain situations, seeing that as a young player was really inspiring, and I. I didn't watch much football as a as a kid, uh, partly because of my parents. Again, they weren't they weren't big sports um, sports people. So, I kind of came into the changing room at Arsenal, age sixteen, with a fresh perspective and an open mind, um, knowing that there was going to be 
different approaches to the way that individuals led, but Casey Stoney was definitely someone who um, led in a way that I thought, wow, that's that's super hu uh, humble, that's hu super impressive. And um, obviously she's doing the same now with Manchester United um, as a coach. And she's obviously, um, the evolution of her as a leader has changed, but I still see her doing it in, in a similar way. Lotta, can you just tell us about your experience of leadership under a number of coaches? So for potential some listeners, if they're sports aid, they're in uh, linear sports where it's just one coach they look after and maybe when they go to internationals. But obviously for football, if you're international and you're in the club and you've had the NCA system experience as well, you are used to being a leader in your own environment, but having a different leader who's overseeing things. Can you talk us through your the various leaders as in the head coaches that you've learned from over the years? So... I think the first head coach that sticks out for me is Kay Cossington. She was my coach at under-15 level um, at England and she was a, a, an extremely strong woman. And I think when there's strong women in the, in the game, um, it helps us as young players coming through um, being able to see that there are opportunities for women in the leadership positions. And um, she was definitely someone who I saw head coach um, who actually led in an extremely um, powerful way while also being humble, while also being um, empathetic to her young players. She was the first one. Um, I've picked up on Anson Dorrance already, so I won't say much more on, uh, on him to blow his head up because um, it's already big enough. But um, I think Joe Montemura as well, my current coach at Arsenal, he, he he does it in a different way. I've said before that I like the way football can um, pave new paths, um, open up different opportunities and keep you with an open mind. And he's an Australian coach. I don't think I would have ever encountered an Australian coach in my life until um, until I did with him. So he was an, he's another coach that um, allows players to play freely, to play with confidence, and he does it in a way that um, maybe English coaches aren't, like, that's not in their character, um, and he obviously brings that different that different flair that comes with being um, Australian and having a different perspective on ideologies in football. Um, so, yeah, they're just a few coaches, but, I mean, not mentioning all of them would probably be doing a disservice to, to them, but there's so many, so many uh, leadership positions that I've encountered um, and leaders in the game who, who have done such a great job in, in helping me get to where I am today. This may be the first time you're hearing about Sports Aid, so let me give you a quick snapshot into what the charity does. They've supported over a thousand of the country's brightest sporting prospects each year, the vast majority aged between 12 to 18. The athletes are nominated to Sports Aid by governing bodies of more than 60 sports, and the award they receive acts as a real motivational boost that is often the first recognition they're given outside of their support network. The athletes benefit from a financial award to help towards the cost of their sport, as well as being able to access specialist workshops and personal development opportunities. Well, since 1976, Sports Aid has supported tens and thousands of athletes at the very start of their journey, long before they became household names. Their illustrious alumni includes Olympic and Paralympic legends such as Jessica Ennis Hill, Mo Farah, 
Tanny Gray Thompson, Sarah Story and Steve Redgrave. And more recently, we've got the likes of Laura Kenny, Ellie Simmons, Adam Peaty, Tom Daly and Dina Asher-Smith. If you'd like to help the next generation of British sporting heroes to follow in their footsteps, please visit sportsaid.org.uk to find out more about how you can make a difference. So we're going to take the crystal ball and throw it way, way ahead because we're hoping you've got a, a Jill Scott-esque uh, career in front of you. You're playing until your late 30s, but obviously quite common in football. We we often hear this. Oh, I could tell they would be a manager from day dot as regards the way they approach the game as a player. The way you speak about leadership, the importance of being a captain and a role model is potential football management or administration? Is that something that you see as part of your potential football journey as we as we develop in your career? Yeah, Tom. So my um, my degree was in sports and exercise science, but more the business side. So actually, Dominic, you'll be you'll be able to uh, relate to this in in the sports management side. I'm extremely interested in sport. Don't get me wrong; like sport has been my life um, up until now, and will probably continue to be. So a lot of my um, expertise and experiences have been in that field, and uh, I think being able to take what I'm learning right now as a player and yeah, maybe take it into coaching. I'd definitely be open to that. But also um, I think a lot of the impact that you can have as a, an individual is higher up in teams. It's in the administrative boards. It's in the boardrooms um, where unfortunately there is a majority of um, white middle-class men. And um, for me as a, a young woman coming through, I want to push the barrier and I want to push the envelope and, in challenging those administrations, challenging those boards um, and ask them the question, why aren't there more women here? Why aren't we being represented in uh, the way that we're represented on the pitch. Uh, we want those individuals making the decisions. And I think I'd like to potentially push on and do something in that in that department. It's very interesting because obviously you cited your first coach as an under-15 being a female. Are you a subscriber to that and then that potential theory of see it and you can be it? And obviously the issue is there aren't enough females in these lofty positions. But do you see that as a responsibility of someone who's having a career in the game? That if you can make inroads off the field or on the field as a coaching, just so you can show those future generations, look, I'm here. Casey Stoney, you've referred to now, obviously, current Manchester United women's head coach as well. You feel that sense of responsibility to, you know, to do what you can to show younger girls that w nothing is impossible. Yeah, definitely. I think when you're able to see people like you in high up positions, um, you suddenly believe uh, it is possible. And um, there's no greater inspiration than than that, in my opinion. Um, and obviously, you don't want to force that as well. Like, I think it's not for everyone. And um, if I maybe wasn't so into coaching or wasn't so into the ideologies of football I'd maybe say maybe that wouldn't be a route that I want to go go down and leave that path open to other individuals um but I definitely believe in that seeing is believing in a sense and um when you're able to see individuals in high up roles who look like you who um are like you um it's extremely inspiring and Lotta, um, obviously you captained England's under-17s at the World Cup and the European Championships back in 2016. Could you give us some insight on what role does that entail in those tournaments? I imagine, you know, you have a lot of duties. You've got to obviously look after your own performance and also, you know, take care of your teammates and make sure everybody else is performing as well. 
Yeah, I mean, um, it brings a smile to my face thinking back to back to those days in 2016 because um, that might be one of the best moments of my career so far, um, captain in my country at a World Cup. It's unbelievable. And um, obviously that's the facade of it. You wear the captain's armband, you lead the team out, but it goes so much deeper um, and... There are so many more duties and so many more um, things you have to do besides just walking out and and doing the coin toss. Um, and with that comes keeping a team together for... We were away for a month on the road in Amman, Jordan, um, keeping the team together through that time. Not everyone's mates, not everyone gets on, not everyone is going to play. And um, like I mentioned earlier with the the fact that you've got to be empathetic to what each individual needs because everyone needs different things. Um, that also goes without saying that there aren't going to be moments that everything goes well. I remember in the first game, um, we came down from, I think it was 3-0 or 2-0 uh, to South Korea. They were winning 2-0 in the first half. And um, yeah, you don't expect your World Cup campaign to start like that. And um People look around in the changing room at half time and they look to me and I think I was able to keep a cool head, keep the team together, um, take care of my performance first and foremost, but then um, empower and uh, catalyse others to, to go on and have confidence in their game and do what they've been doing for all the days before that, all the preparation days that go into that World Cup and come together in that moment and say, no, we are going to fight for this win and we're going to come together and um, we came back um, from 2-0 and that was amazing but yeah it was it was pretty pivotal in that moment at half time where, where they looked to me as a captain and I realised ah okay my job is is much more than just um, just wearing the armband. And with, the, with that in mind I guess you know it is a team sport, football is a team sport, but in elite sport, there's obviously very individual strands to it and you want to be the best person you can be. How much appreciation do you have when you're taking on that captaincy role that arguably you have to be so selfless and think you're always thinking about everyone else and how you reflect or how your actions reflect on the team, whereas I'm not going to say this is the case, but someone who's not the captain maybe feels, oh, well, I don't have to be that upbeat and bright when we conceded a goal. I can, you know... Uh, throw a strop or something like that. I'm not the first at training. How important are those little intangibles, I guess, being as being a captain combined at a major tournament away from home? They're extremely important. And um, I I appreciate the little things in life. And um, momentum is won and lost in um, those small moments when maybe you smile at some uh, to someone and that that lifts their mood or maybe you make a comment and be like oh that like that was a great pass like keep on it keep working on it keep keep pushing it um those little moments um can be what lifts someone's spirits and can be what uh eventually heck if that player is a sub uh every game until the last game if they suddenly come on and they're they're amped up they're um they feel empowered because their teammates have been encouraging her um or her teammates have been encouraging her and she suddenly performs in that final game that is what makes a difference and that's what makes everything worth it all those little details and all those little things so Lotta, moving into women's football and what's happening now, obviously the 10th season of the Women's Super League. Arsenal were actually the first winners of the Women's Super League in 2011, again in 2012 and again in 2019. 
Was there a point that you felt that you had to choose um, might be different for male counterparts or was football always going to be it um, as long as you made the grade? Um, I had I had uh, the opportunity maybe to to do athletics and obviously running is a big part of football anyway so they sort of um, streamlined together um, but I mean, I was a kid that was open-minded. I um, played football, obviously, in the playground and in the streets in East London, but that was only a small part of my day, obviously. And then there was um, playing netball, there was playing basketball, and I think it's extremely valuable for kids to be able to um, learn from other sports. And, I mean, sports aid uh, was was massive in helping me um, sort of pursue football, but... It also opened my mind to um, other athletes who are around. Obviously, um, being exposed to the the successes that other athletes have around me, um, I was inspired by what they were doing, and I was um, able to um, sort of synthesize in in myself that okay, football is one thing, but there are so many other sports out there, and they do it this way. Maybe I can learn from them. And um, that was a progression from a young age, obviously playing basketball, playing different sports and doing athletics. But then also, as you focus more on your sport, you can also learn from other sports while while listening, while watching um, and while um, sort of opening your mind in other ways other than just playing. But I definitely think being able to play multiple sports, um, I think you call it cross training now, um, helps when you're when you're focused, when you're trying to focus on one other sport as well, um, because you can um, understand what you like and dislike, and you can also develop your your skills in in different ways. How fast is the evolution, or how how rapidly is the uh, the reality of being a female professional footballer change for you, Lottie, over time? Because I'd assume someone in your teenager, if we're, if we're going back a decade, not to say that the women's game now is awash with money, but the reality of the likes of Kelly Smith, how they were surviving in the women's game back then is of stark contrast to now where we're having TV deals being announced, not just BBC, BT, but global organisations wanting to stream what many are seeing as the, the best women's football. So how has that been as regards to your perception of what actually being an English professional footballer looks like? Um, uh, it's amazing. As I said earlier, um, the progression of the game is so, so positive and... Um, I mentioned being able to see individuals like yourself in higher positions. Um, that also goes with um, being able to see women playing football on TV, right? Like a few years ago, um, that was very few and far between. But nowadays, we've got it on BBC iPlayer, we've got it on the Red Button, we've got it on BT Sport, we've got it on the occasional BBC One, BBC Two. I want to challenge BBC to put it on more, obviously, but um it's becoming more and more accessible and the amount of deals that are coming in to to broadcast women's football is amazing because i think if you're able to see people like yourself playing football um that is the first step of introducing you to the game and then from there if you've got the facilities if you've got the opportunities around you um you can you can continue on that um inspiration but yes i think it's amazing that women's football is is becoming more of a um a cornerstone in sport of sport in England and that's so important so so important 100% like 
that sort of attention and the money generating and the broadcast you spoke about, even though I feel like when athletes speak to podcasters like myself, Tom, interviews, they don't really like to talk about money, but money is a very, very important part of it. So how do you think, um, hopefully, all this interest and money and broadcast deals, how do you think that's going to impact the sort of cultural shift as it being seen as like a real elite sport in terms of like the public and also like within a club like Arsenal, you know, girls pushing even harder because they know that this is, you know, elite level and this is a massive, massive deal. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you, there's a fine line between um, wanting it to be on TV for TV sake or wanting it to be on TV for um, the sake of um, allowing kids to watch it. So, for instance, I want to give an example. It's the women's football show is on at 11.30 on a Sunday night. This is the highlights, the equivalent of BBC Match of the Day. Um, is an 11-year-old kid going to stay up at 11, till 11.30 on a Sunday night? Probably not. But then you look at the opposite end of that. Um, we're going to be on TV at 3.30, 27th of March, against Tottenham. Um, we're playing in the men's Tottenham ground, and that time has been facilitated for us so that individuals can watch that game with their kids, with their families, um, and... That, to me, is what women's football needs. It needs to be out there. It needs to be accessible. There can't be any barriers to, to watching it, to accessing it, because there are already so many barriers, um, and we need um, we need the exposure. And I think from there, the, the possibilities are endless. But as I've said, it, it needs to be with the right intentions that we put it on TV, not just to slap it on there and tick the box. That's not good enough. Like, that's not good enough. Um, we need the res- we we deserve the respect um, that we've earned, and um, from there, I think we we will earn a place in um, in the the TV guides um, for the right reasons. And with this increased exposure, it's great for the growth of the game, but we can't ignore the downsides. Where it's great that we have the likes of Karen Carney, Alex Scott, who are coming regular faces and voices across both the men's and women's game. But one of the unfortunate downsides of that is sometimes the public reaction is is not very positive and in a small minority. And we're talking specifically about being trolled online. What's your thoughts about what the media is currently doing about that? And what would you like to see change as regards to ensuring that women in future aren't put off by these punditry or commentary roles? Yeah, I think um, there are a lot of issues uh, with social media, full stop, um, let alone social media towards women, towards um, individuals who are of the minority. Like, it's it's unacceptable. And um, I think Twitter and Instagram, they need to reflect on what they're doing to, to help that because they can't control these, as you say, trolls. Like, it's It's... It's ridiculous, really. And um, I know Alex, I know Karen uh, quite well. And they're both extremely, extremely educated um, in in what they're talking about. And um, the fact that they are exposed to, to these trolls um, and the fact that they're exposed while it could be prevented, um, I think, is, is something that um, needs to be looked at and... Um, the fact that there are other individuals uh, highlighting this um, as well, like Gary Lineker, he he speaks about it often. Ian Wright is a great advocate for, for women's football. Um, I think it just needs to be highlighted more and more to put the pressure on those institutions higher up who are able to do something about it because 
it's wrong it's extremely wrong and um as a community in football i think we can come together but it also takes the the wider the wider audiences the the big institutions to come together too to protect to protect those individuals um one thing we want to touch about um is obviously just you as an individual you're not just a footballer we've we've seen your blog we've read your blog but what are your interests outside of being a professional footballer I love to read. Um, I think it's great to do in, in downtime. Um, any book, I'll pick it up, really. Uh, and that was only, I guess I only really started reading um, properly three years ago while I was in the States. So that was something that, um, coming back from the USA, I had a bag full of, uh, full of books, let alone clothes. Um, so that was a, an issue, trying to get that on the plane. Um, but I... I like to write. I like to. Um, I like to chat. I'm a big chatter. Uh, I think something I've definitely missed in COVID is having conversations with people um, that you obviously miss um, if you're just texting or if you're just uh, on FaceTime um, because I, I think human interaction is extremely important. Um, but yeah, I like to read. I like to write. Um, and um, I like being outdoors, so um, I guess COVID has been been uh, pretty good for me in that sense, going for walks. Yeah, um, and you mentioned, you know, your love for writing. Um, could you talk to us about your blog, you know, what people can learn from it and why you started it? Um, yeah, so it's called The Lot of Little Things, um, a bit of a tongue twister. I, yeah, yeah. I've mentioned it earlier, uh, I like little things. I like the, the impact that something so small can have uh, on your life if you just... Uh, pay attention to it and appreciate it and act on it um, I think all too often um, in sports we we look at the big picture and we say oh we need something that costs thousands of pounds oh we need something that is um, uh, totally inaccessible to me but I want it I've seen the big pros wear it like wearing it or doing it I, I want that um, when in reality um, it could just be on your doorstep it could be a conversation that you have with someone that that changes your game changes um, the way you think and from there um, has a big impact um, I think it's interesting uh, obviously you guys asked me to come on the podcast and I was I was really excited to, to come on because sports uh, sports aid was a um, was a, a, a little thing in my life that made a bit a big impact um, and um, I think when when individuals get involved um, with what you're doing um, while they may be a cheerleader, they may be someone that just um, helps you on the side, um, that can have a big impact too. So yeah, my, my blog is um, a bit of bit of fun for me in writing, but I also hope it can uh, translate to other people that there are things in, in life that aren't massive, that aren't super hard to get hold of, but that we can all have access to and enjoy to, to, change, to change the way we think and um, maybe sometimes the way we play too. Yeah, hundred percent. Like that sort of butterfly effect is so important, and so I'm so glad you mentioned that. So, Lotter, at the time of recording, we're beginning of March. Arsenal are fourth in the league. You still got the FA Cup. Great news that that's going to be returning uh, for you as a person. What's your What do you want to get out of the remainder of this season? We're pushing for Champions League. Um, that's the goal right now, and. Um, Make no qualms about it. We're obviously gutted that we're um, uh, sort of an arm's distance away from the title race because at Arsenal we're pushing for the top. We're, we we want to win trophies. Um, but right now we've got our sights set on a on a Champions League spot, and that's really exciting. We're all um, 
we all want to play on the biggest stages and the Champions League is is a massive stage, isn't it? Uh, and like you said, actually, um, the fact, Tom, the fact that the FA Cup is back in play, um, that's the Arsenal Cup, in my opinion. Like, Arsenal will always win the <laughs> FA Cup, so yes. um, that's that's there for us to win and I'm excited that um, the the ties aren't going to be decided on a, on a coin toss. Um, that was ridiculous when that came out, but um, yeah, um at Arsenal, we want Champions League, we want FA Cup, and then hopefully next year again we'll be we'll be in the in the title race. Brilliant. Could you just give us one more insight on how important Sports Aid has been? You know, for myself, Sports Aid has been massive. Um, how much of an impact has that had on you? You know, starting and now once you look back on it, all you've achieved. How thankful are you for um, Sports Aid and what they've done for you? Oh, I'm unbelievably thankful. Um, I was put forward for it by Mo Marley, who was my coach at under 19's uh, age group. And um, from there, I um, I applied and um, I was given a financial support, which was amazing. Um, obviously, f- football is, um, is professional when you get to the elite level, when you get to um, the, the first team level, but the lower stages of that, that it it's it's not the most glamorous sport. So Sports Aid really gave me the opportunity to um to have that extra extra buffer that I needed that arguably helped me get to where I am today, who knows? Um but it it was was something that gave me a lot of confidence as a player and um I think I would recommend it to to every other young athlete coming through if they're able to to get the support from Sports Aid. I would um, tell them to jump at the opportunity because it it truly is um, truly is wonderful, and I'm super super thankful for what they did for me. So, Lotta, um, a question I wanted to ask personally. Um... I'm a person that's um, very, very recently been introduced to women's football and, and I have to credit Ian Wright for that because I remember he went through a period on Instagram when he was sharing your results, sharing, you know, um, the likes of Miedemar, yourself um, and the other players. So big up Wrighty for that. Um, I, I do actually follow Miedemar on Instagram and I'm always keeping up with her. What is it like sort of defending against her and playing against her? Obviously, her goal scoring record is phenomenal. So what is it like in, in training against her? Oh, Dom, I'm with you. Yeah, big up, big up Ian Wright. Big, big up Ian Wright. Um, it's funny because he probably wishes he was like Miedema when he was playing. She's unreal. She is unreal. Like, um, she's got pace. She's got strength. She is the full package. And I feel so lucky that, one, we've got her on her team because <laughs> I don't have to defend her against her in games when it actually matters. But two, that I'm able to benchmark myself up against her week in, week out. Um, I feel like I'm able to push myself um, in ways that I wouldn't be able to if I was in another team. And um, I think Arsenal is very lucky to have her. Uh, she's won us a lot of games and I hope she'll be able to to get us to the Champions League as well. But... Yeah, unreal player, unreal player. I take my hat off and um, it's lucky actually um, I'm able to put her off or um, talk a bit of, um, yeah, talk, talk talk to her in Dutch because um, oh, yes, she's yes. obviously Dutch and I'm able to, to, to conversate with her in that way. So that's nice. Um, she's also a super lovely, lovely woman, um, extremely gentle, extremely kind and she's given me a lot of encouragement. So she's, as I've said, she's the full package. And Lotto, you um, obviously mentioned that um, the upcoming North London derby is going to be played at the new Tottenham Hotspur ground, but, you know, I'm an Arsenal boy, so I care about the Emirates R patch. You know, have you had the opportunity to play there yourself at any point in your career? Yeah, so um, I actually haven't had the opportunity to play there as an Arsenal player per se, but um, I was able to play there at the age of 12. 
and um, funny story, uh, we, we were there for a tournament, um, it was my local borough, so I was playing for Tower Hamlets at the time, um, and I, we obviously played the game, I think we won the tournament, um, so we were super happy, but just before I was leaving, I was like, I, I looked around, I was like, I'm going to eat a bit of the grass, because I'm like, how, how many times am I going to be able to... One, be on the Emirates, but two, eat the grass. So I, I picked up a bit of the grass and I, and I ate it. And I was like, I, w I was walking off and I think we got the tube home. Um, so yeah, I was like, mum, I ate some of the grass. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> and um, yeah, that, that was funny. I think that, that might be what's my superpower that's got me to, to play into Arsenal today. Who knows? Who knows? How did it taste? I bet it tasted just of greatness. The taste of greatness. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was great. You know it, Tom. You know it. Just one more question, actually. If you could actually play in any ground in the world, obviously there's some amazing, amazing stadiums out there. What ground would it be? It would be Camp Nou. Camp Nou. Barcelona Stadium, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, yeah, it's immaculate, isn't it? It's beautiful. I, mean, I, I dream of days when um, Arsenal are playing Barcelona in the final of the Champions League. Or at yes. Camp oh, yeah. I wish. Mm, hopefully one day we'll see you there, 100%. I hope so. So Lotta, we've actually got um, a few quick fire questions for yourself. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. English rose or Dutch tulip? Oh, Dutch tulip. Uh, Favourite artist? Um, Banksy. Favourite art movement? Um, art Nouveau. North Carolina barbecue food or burnt British summer bangers? <laughs> Oh, neither. 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 Oh, not a big fan Have of... Have I got to give an answer? Hate barbecue. Oh, I've got... Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of barbecue, Oh, honestly. no. What is your favourite food out of interest if you can't answer that one? <laughs> I'm going to go with sushi. Nice. Okay, nice. Amstel or London Pride? Amstel. One thing you want to achieve more than anything? Um, I want to win a World Cup. Wow. Favourite TV show? Um... Goodness, you got me. Um, uh, the Crown. Nice. Favorite city in the world? London. Sing the national anthem loud and proud before the match, or stay tight-lipped. Uh, loud and proud. Loud and proud. Brilliant. Greatest Arsenal player of all time, men and women. Men, um, it's gonna have to be Thierry Henry. Women, Kelly Smith. Greatest English player of all time, women and men. Women, um, again Kelly Smith, baller. Uh, men. Arguably, I'm going to have to go with Bex. Bex. Favourite Dutch player of all time, or greatest Dutch player of all time, women and men? Johan Cruyff and oh, it's going to have to be Viv, Viviana Miedema. Nice. And who's your favourite player? They might not be the greatest player, but who's your favourite player? Um, it's always been Johan Cruyff. Uh, his, yeah, Johan Cruyff. Nice. Biggest role model growing up? My dad. Wow. Favourite sport outside of football? Cycling. Issue you care most about? Inequality on all levels. And last one, what's your most annoying trait? My most annoying trait? That I repeat questions that are asked to me. <laughs> I was going to say, you're, you're thinking a long time. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lord. Thanks a lot for rushing out of training today. 
to join us for this episode of the Sports Aid Vault. And a huge thank you to you, listener, for joining us once again. If you want to find out more about Sports Aid's work and their athletes, you can visit sportsaid.org.uk or drop us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Team Sports Aid. The Sports Aid Vault podcast is produced with Hogarth Worldwide and Gramercy Park Studios. And our theme music is courtesy of Vidal Riley. So massive big up to him. Thank you so much. You can check out his latest releases on Spotify. Man, I can't stop.